Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Everything's getting more expensive these days gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now. This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy, and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market, support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22, or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in-store and online at arnott's.ie. Boston was one of the first major cities founded by settlers from Europe. The area was extremely active during the American Revolution, being the location of the Boston Massacre, the Boston Tea Party, the Battle of Bunker Hill, and the Siege of Boston. Its citizens' propensity to rally together and fight against a perceived injustice was key in beating the British. That spirit has remained in the city and shows strongly in many stories, like the one you're about to hear. Johar and Tamerlan Tsarnaev moved to the United States as refugees to escape violence, but after making mistakes that ruined their own futures, they decided that the Western world needed to be punished. This is Monsters. April 15, 2013 was the 117th annual Boston Marathon. The historic 26.2-mile or 42.16-kilometer run starts on East Main Street in Hopkinton, Massachusetts, and ends on Boylston Street in Boston. There were 23,336 competitors from every state in the U.S. and 92 other countries. The race began at 9.17 a.m. with the start of the first in multiple staggered groups of contestants. By 10.40 a.m., all of the runners had begun their 26.2-mile journey. Ethiopian Lelisa de Sisa won the men's race with an astonishing time of 2 hours, 10 minutes, and 22 seconds. Rita Jeptu topped the women's race with a time of 2 hours, 26 minutes, and 25 seconds. For the next few hours, people from all over the world continued to make their way across the finish line. 
At 2.49 and 43 seconds in the afternoon, a bomb exploded only a few yards from the finish line. 14 seconds later, a second bomb detonated 210 yards or 190 meters away from the first. One bomb had been placed just across the street from the finish line viewing stands. The second was placed about a block down the street outside of the Forum restaurant. When surveillance video was viewed by the authorities, they observed two men walking into the crowds with backpacks and later leaving without them. These would become the main suspects in the hunt for the bombing, but the FBI already knew who they were. Tamerlan Sarnayev was born on October 21, 1986 in a village in what is now Kalmykia to Anzar and Zubadit Sarnayev. The family moved to Kyrgyzstan where Jokar was born on July 22, 1993. Their parents would also have two daughters, Bella and Elena. The family moved to Dagestan in the Russian Federation for a short time before immigrating to the United States under an application for asylum in 2002. When they moved, they left Tamerlan with his uncle and he didn't travel to the U.S. until two years later. They all settled in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where Anzar worked as a mechanic, and Zubit had worked as a cosmetologist until she lost her job for refusing to work at a business that served men. The family was granted permanent residence in March of 2007. Tamerlan began boxing at an early age, taking after his father who would regularly coach him. Anzar was living vicariously through his son with dreams of going to the Olympics. Joining the Olympic team would launch his fighting career faster than working his way through the ranks and clubs. Tamerlan became a great boxer and won the New England Golden Gloves and was sent to the national tournament in Salt Lake City. Despite what many people thought was a superior performance, Tamerlan lost by judges' decision. The crowd booed as the decision was announced. The following year, Tamerlan won the Nationals, but Golden Gloves of America changed their rules to prohibit all non-citizens from competing in the Tournament of Champions, which would be necessary for him to advance to the U.S. Olympic Trials. Though the father and son were upset at the decision, they knew that they could continue training and come back after Tamerlan was able to gain U.S. citizenship. As Tamerlan took a break from boxing, he began frequenting nightclubs where he met various young women. He began dating a woman named Nadine Asensio, and she moved in with him. In 2009, Nadine called the police after Tamerlan slapped her for wearing clothes that he said weren't modest enough. He was arrested for assault, and though the charges were dropped, the arrest made him ineligible for U.S. citizenship. This crushed Tamerlan's dream of competing in the Olympic Games. It wasn't long before Tamerlan was in another relationship with a woman named Catherine Russell, who went by Katie. The two began dating, and soon she was pregnant. Tamerlan's parents were upset by the development, but Katie offered to convert to Islam and take the name Karima in an effort to please her soon-to-be in-laws. Tamerlan and Karima were married in June of 2010, and she moved into the apartment with her husband and his parents. Once the baby was born, Karima was made to work up to 80 hours a week to support her family while Tamerlan stayed at home and watched the baby. At the same time, Tamerlan's mother, Zubadit, was becoming more and more extreme in her Islamic views, and she was taking Tamerlan with her. Anzar finally divorced Zubadit and moved back to Dagestan. Russian officials had recorded a phone call between Tamerlan and his mother where they were heard discussing jihad. The Russians sent the information to the FBI and they conducted an investigation into Tamerlan and Zyubadat. 
It was at this time that some people believe that Tamerlan began working as an informant for the FBI, though the FBI denies it. He and his mother were both placed onto a terrorist watch list at the time, though. On September 11, 2011, Tamerlan and a friend named Ibrahim Tadashev went to the apartment of Brendan Mess, who had been close friends with Tamerlan. Brendan had graduated from college but chose to sell drugs instead of using his degree in professional writing. His neighbors knew that he was selling drugs out of the apartment, but didn't report him because they said they preferred him over some of the other rambunctious partiers who had lived there before. Brendan lived there with his girlfriend, Hilda Eltalib, but she was visiting friends in Florida. He had recently let his friend Eric Weissman move in, and another friend of Brendan's, Raphael Tekken, was also in the apartment that day. The men hung out for a while before Tamerlan suddenly attacked the men with a knife. Ibrahim helped Tamerlan kill all three of the men by stabbing them in the necks. Reports say that the stabbings were so brutal that all three men were nearly decapitated. Then they put each body in a different room and sprinkled marijuana all over them. They left $5,000 in cash out in sight, showing that the attack wasn't about robbery. Hilda returned from her trip the following day and found the bodies in her apartment. Police investigated but brushed it off as being drug-related and didn't immediately come up with any suspects. The fact that Tamerlan didn't attend his friend's funeral caused suspicion within the community. The night of the murders, Ibrahim left town for Florida. Despite people telling the police to look at Tamerlan for the murders, nobody was ever charged. In January of 2012, Tamerlan traveled to Russia claiming his trip was to renew his Russian passport. While there, he visited family, but it was later revealed that though he arrived in Russia in January, he didn't arrive in Dagestan until March. Some say that during this time, Tamerlan was getting trained and becoming radicalized. He is said to have met with many radical leaders while in the area. He didn't return to the U.S. until July 17th, and by then he had grown a long beard and some of his family members said that he had become an extremist. He became known for his outbursts when the imam of his mosque would allow members to celebrate American holidays. He was eventually asked to leave at least one mosque. Then Tamerlan started a YouTube channel posting messages of jihad against the West. You know, the same place that he had moved to for asylum when his life was being threatened. That same place where he married a Western woman and lived off of her hard work. How dare they rescue him and let him be a freeloader? Tamerlan began reading the online magazine Inspire, which was an Al-Qaeda-produced publication out of Yemen. It would encourage its readers to carry out attacks on the West by setting forest fires and building homemade bombs. The first issue of the magazine contained an article titled How to Make a Bomb Out of the Kitchen of Your Mom. Horrifying yet catchy. The article gives step-by-step -step instructions on how to make a bomb out of a pressure cooker. By now, Tamerlan's mother had returned to Russia, claiming that she was going to care for a sick relative, but most people believe she was running away from a shoplifting charge. Without another radical believer in the apartment, Tamerlan began using his younger brother, Jokar, to vent his frustrations with the Western world. Jokar immigrated to the United States with his family when he was only eight years old, so the transition might have been easier for him than his brother, who was already 17 when he finally joined them. Growing up, Jokar wasn't as outgoing with his religion as his brother. He was athletic in high school, acting as the captain of the wrestling team. He enrolled at the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth in 2011 and started majoring in marine biology, but eventually switched to nursing. 
At college, Jokar's friends said he was popular and likable, and like many young adults, became a frequent pot smoker. One of the secrets he kept from his brother was that he made money by selling pot at school. He was reported to have been making about $1,000 a week and generally used it on partying. Jokar became a naturalized citizen of the United States on September 11, 2012. He passed a U.S. civics and English test, was interviewed by the FBI, and passed a background check, something that was easy since Jokar had never been in trouble with the law. Then he raised his right hand and swore to defend the U.S. against all threats, foreign and domestic. Jokar looked up to his older brother his entire life, so when he began reading the Quran with him in 2012, he was easily sold on Tamerlan's extreme ideas. Not long after Jokar swore an oath to the country, the brothers began planning an attack on U.S. soil. They used information gathered from extremist websites and began experimenting with bombs in their Cambridge apartment. In February of 2013, Tamerlan drove to New Hampshire, where fireworks are legal, and purchased a large amount of fireworks shells. Each shell had two different types of explosive powder in them. The brothers would spend countless hours researching and making sure their weapons would work according to plan. By April 15th, Tamerlan had shaved off his beard in an effort to blend in with a crowd. He wore a white t-shirt, a dark coat, and a black baseball cap making him look like anyone else watching the marathon that day. Jokar wore a dark t-shirt, a beige hoodie, and a white baseball cap, looking just as much the part of a regular Bostonian as his brother. They both grabbed heavy backpacks and set off to their destination. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a place to get all of your vitamins in one convenient package? Care of might be right for you. Dedicating even a few minutes to yourself each day can go a long way, and Care-of is here to support however you spend your you time. Take a short, in-depth quiz about your health goals and lifestyle and get personally tailored recommendations based on your answers. You can stick with what Care-of recommends or change up your pack at any time. Care-of's products are made from good-for-you, clean ingredients that are backed by the latest science and research so you can feel good about what you're putting in your body. I'm trying to stay heart healthy, so Care-of recommended omega-3 fatty acids in the form of fish oil. And of course, living in the Pacific Northwest, a vitamin D supplement will help with my mood. A 30-day supply is delivered right to my door in convenient daily packs. For 50% off your first Care-of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code ThisIsMonsters50. That's TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code ThisIsMonsters50 for 50% off your first Care-of order. At 2.49 and 43 seconds on April 15, 2013, the first bomb exploded and killed 29-year-old Crystal Campbell, a restaurant manager from Medford, Massachusetts. It injured countless more when shrapnel tore through people's legs and arms. In an instant, the road beneath the marathon runners was covered in blood. The time felt like an eternity, but only 14 seconds later, the second bomb exploded. It killed 23-year-old Lu Lingzi, a Boston University graduate student from Shenyang, China. It also killed 8-year-old Martin Richard, a local Boston resident who had the day off from school and had been happily eating ice cream while cheering on the runners. Martin's sister, Jane Richard, lost her left leg below the knee, and his mother, Denise Richard, had taken shrapnel in her right eye. Some newspapers reported that she had brain damage, but that report was false. The shrapnel had damaged her optic nerve, but hadn't done any damage to her brain. 
it was fortunate that Jokar wasn't good at picking bomb locations. He placed his backpack near a family, thinking they would make the perfect target, but on the other side of the bag was a metal postal mailbox that would end up shielding many people from the blast and its intentionally placed shrapnel. If he had put the bag somewhere else, there would likely have been more injuries and casualties. 264 people were injured between the two blasts. Most of the injuries were shrapnel wounds to the lower legs indicating that the bombs had been on the ground when they detonated. 16 people lost a limb either directly due to the blast or from surgical amputation. Three people lost multiple limbs. Parts of the bomb were collected and it was determined that each bomb was made from a 6-liter pressure cooker filled with nails, ball bearings, zippers, and black powder. They were placed into black nylon backpacks and left on the marathon route where the brothers thought they would do the most damage. The bombs were triggered by remote controls for toy cars. Quickly after the attack, police arrested a Saudi man who they said looked suspicious. They interviewed him and searched his house, but he wasn't connected to the attack. While the authorities were working to identify the bombers, the internet was trying to solve the case on their own. One of the people who was identified by internet sleuths was 22-year-old Sunil Tripathi, who went by Sunny. People found it suspicious that Sonny had been missing since the middle of March and believed it must be because he had been hiding out while planning the bombing and then fled after it was carried out. On April 23, 2013, a body was found floating in the Seekonk River and was identified as Sonny. An autopsy revealed that he had been dead since before the bombings. His family later confirmed that he had committed suicide. After scouring hours and hours of surveillance video, authorities noticed a young man in a white hat who didn't seem surprised by the first explosion, like everyone else. As everyone else turned to see what had happened, this man in the white hat turned and walked the other direction. His lack of curiosity was pretty, well, curious. They backed up the surveillance and saw the man in the white hat talking to a man in a black hat earlier. Both men had backpacks before the bombing. After the explosions happened, both men can be seen leaving the area and now they were missing their backpacks. On April 18th, the FBI released images of the suspects to the media. Jokar had returned to UMass Dartmouth just an hour before his picture would be released to the world. He quickly jumped in his green Honda Civic and went to Cambridge where Tamerlan was waiting for him. With their identities known, they decided to go out with a literal bang and head to New York City, where they would set off more explosions in Times Square. They hadn't only built the two bombs that were set off at the marathon, they had actually built seven, so they had five more that they could set off somewhere else. Though they had more bombs, they didn't have much in the way of firepower. They had a single Ruger P95 9mm handgun, as well as a hunting knife and a machete. As they drove through Cambridge, they spotted a lone police cruiser parked on the MIT campus and decided that that would be their ticket to more guns. 26-year-old Sean Collier was an officer with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology Police and had wanted to be a cop his entire life. Even before becoming a police officer, he was helping people by doing charity work to raise money for pediatric cancer patients. Officer Collier was parked near an intersection where people liked to make an illegal turn. He was doing double duty, watching for traffic infractions and keeping his eyes peeled for the two suspects he had just received pictures of earlier that day. Unfortunately, he wasn't aware that those suspects were closer than he knew. 
Tamerlan and Jokar had snuck up behind the patrol vehicle while Collier was focused on the intersection in front of him. Suddenly, Tamerlan opened the driver's door and fired five rounds at point-blank range, three in the chest and two in the head. Sean Collier died instantly. Jokar reached in the passenger side and attempted to steal the officer's service weapon, but couldn't get it out of the holster. It turned out that MIT police had just issued new holsters that had a special locking system. Eventually, Jokar gave up and the men fled as people began calling 911 to report gunshots. As soon as news of the shooting hit other officers, they knew it had to have something to do with the marathon bombing. The brothers pulled their car up behind a man in a Mercedes who had just pulled over to answer a text message. As he was typing on his phone, he heard a tap on his window. When he rolled it down, Tamerlan reached in, unlocked the door, and climbed inside. He pointed his gun at the driver, Dun Meng, who went by Danny, and told him not to do anything stupid. Tamerlan asked Danny if he heard about the marathon bombing and then told him that he had done it. The plan was to force Danny to drive them to New York, but first they needed to stop for gas and snacks, because you can't go on a bombing excursion without snacks, right? While there, Danny managed to escape and run into the gas station. The attendant let him hide in the back while he gave him a phone so he could call 911. The call went out over the radio, and Watertown police officer Joe Reynolds realized that the stolen Mercedes was coming his way. He made a U-turn as they passed, and just after turning a corner, the car stopped and Tamerlan got out and began firing at the police cruiser. Officer Reynolds threw it into reverse and sped backwards, almost hitting another cruiser that was arriving as backup. In that cruiser, Sergeant John McClellan headed straight toward the shooter, taking one bullet in the middle of the windshield. What Reynolds thought was a standard carjacking turned into a seven-minute shootout where the brothers threw multiple homemade grenades and another pressure cooker bomb. Tamerlan was shot by officers and was lying on the ground bleeding out. Jokar fled in the stolen vehicle, running over his brother in the process. Tamerlan died about an hour later in the hospital. His autopsy revealed that he had been shot multiple times in the torso and extremities, and also suffered blunt force trauma from being run over. Officer Richard Donahue was wounded in the leg but survived. Officer Dennis Simmons was injured by one of the grenades and died a year later due to complications from that injury. Despite the residential area looking like a war zone, with houses riddled with bullet holes, no civilians were injured during the shootout. Police mobilized and began clearing the neighborhood yard by yard. The stolen Mercedes was found abandoned not far away. After hours of searching a lockdown neighborhood, the police notified residents that they could resume normal activity. Dave Henneberry looked out his window and saw that the shrink wrap on his boat had come off and some of the protective padding was on the ground. He went outside for a smoke and chatted with a neighbor. He vented his frustration that the police must have searched his boat but didn't put the plastic back properly. Before going back into the house, he stepped on the ladder by the boat and peeked underneath the protective plastic. He saw blood spattered everywhere and a body curled up on the deck of the boat. He hopped down and ran back into the house, telling his wife to call 911. While in the boat, Jokar scribbled a note on a piece of paper. Much of it was illegible, but parts of it say things like, the U.S. government is killing our innocent civilians, but most of you already know that. You are fighting men who look down the barrel of your gun and see heaven. 
Police approached the boat with the assumption that Jokar was armed with a gun and bombs, which seems perfectly reasonable in this case. When there was sudden movement inside the boat, the police opened fire. After a minute of chaos, the gunfire stopped, and luckily for Jokar, the fiberglass hull did an excellent job of stopping the bullets. A helicopter with thermal imaging verified that there was a body in the boat, so they tried to lob a few flashbang grenades inside to scare them out, but it didn't work. Then an FBI agent used a police Bearcat armored vehicle to shake the boat, but the bomber refused to budge. After a negotiator played a message from his high school wrestling coach, Jokar stepped out of the boat and surrendered. On April 19th, Jokar Sarnaev was placed under arrest and taken to the hospital with multiple gunshot wounds. He was transported to the same hospital where his brother had been pronounced dead earlier that day. He was also the same hospital where 26 survivors of the bomb blast were recovering from their wounds. After the marathon bombing, federal agents tracked down Tamerlan's friend, Abraham Tadashev, in Orlando, Florida. While interviewing him in his apartment, he confessed to assisting in the murders of Brendan Mess, Eric Weissman, and Raphael Tekken on September 11, 2011 with Tamerlan. According to agents on the scene, as Abraham was writing out his statement, his attitude changed and he attacked one of the agents. During the altercation, Abraham was shot multiple times and killed. Some people claim that that was part of a cover-up by the feds, but it seems as though Abraham realized that he was going to prison and had nothing left to lose. Jokar was charged with 30 counts, including using a weapon of mass destruction, malicious destruction of property resulting in death, carjacking, and possession and use of a firearm resulting in death. He pleaded not guilty, and the prosecutor responded by announcing that he would seek the death penalty. He was moved from the hospital to the Federal Medical Center at Fort Devens and kept in solitary confinement. He was only allowed to communicate with his sisters, a psychiatrist, and his lawyers. At trial, the defense argued that Jokar had only acted under the influence of Tamerlan and that the planning and execution of the bombing, as well as the murder of Officer Collier, was all carried out by Tamerlan. On April 8, 2015, Jokar Sarnaev was found guilty on all 30 counts and sentenced to death. On July 30, 2020, the United States Court of Appeals reversed the death sentence due to the determination that jurors were not screened well enough about how much they knew about the case. On March 4, 2022, the Supreme Court reversed that decision and reinstated his death penalty. Up until the very end, the brothers wanted to blame someone else for the problems they had had in their life. Their problems were created by their own actions, and killing innocent people didn't solve them. It just made them monsters. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. 
If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can also check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our new merch at Teespring. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. No. Good boy. Keep your hat on, pet. Why? We're playing dinner at the North Pole, remember? So we need to wear our big warm coats inside. When it comes to food or heat, many families will face impossible choices this Christmas. Please support the St. Vincent de Paul annual appeal. Donate locally or at svp.ie. Thank you. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for lucky seven. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now CERTA. Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CERTAIreland.ie. This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market, support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22 or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in-store and online at arnott's.ie. Innova Insurance is now Gallagher. Gallagher is Ireland's new name in insurance and financial planning. We are proud to become part of a global brand with an Irish family heritage. If your car, van or house insurance is due for renewal, call Gallagher for a quote today on 0818 222 400. Arthur J. Gallagher Insurance Brokers Ireland Limited Trading as Gallagher and Polsky Quote is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.